it's basically like let's look at the next week and think about like what does now me want what does now uh future me uh, needs our culture rewards experimental failure and there is a difference between experimental failure and operational failure you're listening to precious on community a seed camp podcast Hey everyone, welcome back to the Precious on Community podcast, the show where we share learnings and advice from people in the trenches on what it takes to build and sustain a healthy community that not only helps your organisation, but it helps your members meet their goals. Today I am so excited to have Erica Batista on the show. She is the former director at The Family, the French VC, and now she is the official head of International Act on Deck and the unofficial chief serendipity officer erica it is so great to have you welcome thank you it's so good to be here thanks for the invitation ah well i mean the invitation was easy to extend because the reason that i'm so excited to sit down with you is because of the amazing community that you built first in france with the family and now actually the community that you've built in europe um for on deck and we're going to get into that um, and discuss, yeah, what it means to like really build community in a new space, um, in a new geography. Um, and actually, like what I hope is that our listeners will really learn another way of building community, because I think there are a lot of different ways to approach it. So, yeah, I guess we'll dive right into it. But before we get into the communities that you have built and have been a part of building, it would be great to hear about one community that you admire that you did not build. I love this question. So I would say definitely the Bento Society. So okay. if you look at it, I think the website is like bentosociety.org. So this community, like the genesis of it is um, Jancy Strickler, who's the uh, co-founder of Kickstarter. He wrote this book yeah. called um, This Could Be Our Future, which is an amazing book, highly recommend to read. And okay. um, the book talks about how we should kind of expand our notion of value beyond financial optimization in our society. And, you know, it goes into a lot of different tangents, but but most, I think I would say like one of the most important things in the book is that at the end, he introduces this framework for decision-making that he calls the bento framework. And it's called the bento mm -hmm. because it has boxes, you know, like the, like the Japanese bento. Mm -hmm. And um, basically each box considers um, a different perspective. So it has now me for like the present current needs, future me, for, you know, what the ambitions or the things that I want to do basically in the future. And then it has also now us and future us, um, you know, as and it, it's a super amazing framework um, to, to kind of um, make our future goals very actionable in the present. And um, so basically there is a group that's called the Bento Society and it's people who have that kind of mindset, who want to really mm. make the future actionable today. And it's it's um, it's a community that I, I wish I, I had created um, and I'm a very proud member of it. How does the, how does the Bento Society come together? So basically it's, um, yeah, he just built out the website. Um, I, I don't remember, I mean, I, how I heard of it was through his newsletter. So basically I saw that there was, um, I went on the website and I saw that there was a, a session on every week. And basically it's um, like, let's do our bentos together. And it's basically like, let's look at the next week 
and think about like what does now me want, what does now uh, future me uh, needs, or now us, etc. So like it's just like let's dis- discuss and build our bentos together. And I just started joining, and then he created like subgroups of that that are like that that bento groups that meet every week. Uh, and these people have become such close friends, and we've yeah. both been through through like such a journey together, you know, sharing our experiences and, and, and our ambitions and our values. And yeah, it's, it's a community really like, um, like no other that I've been a part of. I love to hear that. That's like a beautiful, a beautiful ritual, but then I guess, yeah, there's also accountability there for yes. everyone to really grow together. Oh, amazing. Well, I hope everyone can uh, check that out, sign up for newsletter, and maybe, you know, you'll have a few more members that you'll come across as a result of mentioning uh these guys awesome great thank you so much for sharing so okay let's get into you so it would be great to know a little bit more about your background so like tell us how you went from like law to the family and now to on deck with this you know unofficial title of chief serendipity officer yeah um so my story is that i i was born and raised in the dominican republic and i went to law school after high school and and, um, you know, did the typical thing, uh, worked as a, at a law firm for about two years, uh, going to court, litigation, contracts, like your typical lawyer stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, then realized that in the long term, none of the career paths uh, excited me. Like I didn't want to become a partner at a law firm. I didn't want to become a judge. I just, I, I didn't see any perspective. And this was, this was like two years in. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh what am I going to do? So I <laughs> decided to, to study, you know, do a master's degree in economics. I moved to Europe to do that. And I was living a little bit all over the place. And at that point I became really passionate about startups. So I started reading Paul Graham's blog, uh, mm. all the like tech crunch articles and like all the tech blogs at the time, I became super geeky about it. And um, yeah, then I, I, I moved to France and I started to kind of look around what was happening in the ecosystem and the answer is not much so there were like a couple events here and there and I started like just messaging people and sending out emails and like just really trying to speak to whoever would 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 give me a meeting and and that's how I connected with um the founders of what became the family so I met them a little bit before they started it and became uh the first employee and started you know building the company with the founders with you know first communities first events first workshops and and the first partnerships you know meaning perks and just really building out that 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 kind of first cohort where companies like algolia came out of heech and um and start of service and and so many other uh, you know successes that became you know real european uh companies and or global in certain cases and yeah and then after seven years i you know decided that I had done every possible job <laughs> at that company and, and that it was time for me to, to make a move. So I left. Uh, it was a very tough decision at the time and uh, right before COVID. And wow. I left and the goal was to potentially launch my own thing. So I, you know, I, I, I actually was talking to Eric and David, who is the founders of, of well, founder and CEO of OnDeck. And they told me, oh, you should totally come to OnDeck to um, explore your company idea. So I joined the the fellowship, and yeah. I mean, little did I know that the whole time they were trying to hire me. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I joined the uh, fourth cohort, which was actually the the second cohort that that had been online, and I was just blown away. 
you know, I had been building community for seven years in a place that was called literally the family. So I was not easily impressed. But mm. after I, you know, discover the, the 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 community, got help from people, I was able to help out others. I was just really, really impressed with the with the spirit of service and the and the quality of the people. So naturally, when they finally made the move and offered me a position to launch them in Europe, I said yes. And uh, yeah, then the company went from 15 to 100 plus people. We grew grew so much in Europe that I then ended up transitioning to a head of international role to kind of expand that playbook and repeat that playbook to other markets where we want to, you know, launch dedicated efforts. And and yeah, it's been uh, it's been an incredible journey. Amazing. So talk to me about why you've unofficially been called Chief Serendipity Officer, because I think that's really important as well. I think that the the thing is that I always keep this mindset. I'm a very long term thinker. So, for example, if I'm if I'm talking to somebody, and um, it it sparks something in me, I will say, "Oh, you should absolutely like." I'm that type of person like, to be like, "Oh, you should absolutely talk to this person and this person." Like, I see the connections. I think where other people don't, and I mm. act on that. And so I don't see like even though my role is you know technically like I'm growing on Deck in Europe. Uh, or, you know, now internationally, I was always kind of helping people connect the dots in, um, in ways that, that went beyond that, um, even within the company or, you know, within our ecosystem. So I think that's why, why uh, one of my colleagues uh, especially loves to call me that. I love to hear that. That's really, that's a lovely, yeah, a lovely sentiment, I would say, because it also shows that I guess that the connections in terms of what it means to do community building like it doesn't necessarily have to be strategic it can just come from I guess natural thought processes and that I guess is partly personality driven as well yeah absolutely like there's some people that have like methods and frameworks and and that have a very come at this from a very analytical point of view and I'm not saying I don't have that like I love data I love you know um getting looking at, at like having concrete um you know numbers and 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 looking at trends and all of that but at the same time i really am very intuition driven and uh especially in the early days of a community you really sometimes have to trust your gut you know in in the sense that um you know sometimes what what people what people tell you what the feedback people give you doesn't correspond to the how they actually behave you know they tell you like oh I love this event but they actually didn't join or they said no it was so so but they stayed the whole night you know so yeah you sometimes have to look at more about people do rather rather than you know the feedback they give you in a certain context and and trust your intuition um to be able to to go in the right direction so I'm very much in that in that camp yeah that's an interesting one because that thing about feedback and actually what people say versus what they want to do. I've definitely experienced that just in, you know, these early days being like people being like, Oh, it'd be really great if we could have this, you know, and then you create it for them and then crickets. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I've seen that so many times, like people saying, for example, um, in uh, typically like, for example, building in Europe, people would be like, Oh, we would love to have like more events earlier in the day. Uh, for Europeans and then you do them and like nobody shows up <laughs> and you're like no what they actually want is a global community so they want events where people from the U.S. can also attend or where the global community can also attend and so yeah sometimes like people they say they want something but but actually that's not what they want 
it's, mm. it's it, it, there's a lot of, um, I would say there's a lot of commonalities with building products. Ah, excellent. Okay, let, talking about commonalities with building product then, when starting out building a community, like, you know, the advice is like, do things that don't scale, you know, mm-hmm. like just do whatever needs to happen at the beginning. And I know that one of the things that you've spoken about is speaking to like hundreds of people when it came to building the on-deck community in mm-hmm. Europe. But actually, practically, how do you, if you're, if you're thinking about community as a product, how do you then manage and organize all of the information that you're pulling in when you're talking to all of these people? Yeah, so to what you're, you're saying, basically, when I when I started, you know, launching on-deck in Europe, I would basically talk to anybody who would give me 20 minutes of their time. And the idea was basically that you're either a fit for for the program, you're either the person I'm looking for, or you know somebody, or even you're going to talk about it to a friend who's going to talk about it to to another friend. And and so, yeah, I had, for example, a VC friend in in Berlin who told me like, wow, Erica, you've, you've done such a great job that like when I decided to quit my job, like five different people told me about on deck. So, you know, it's, uh, it's something that, that happens because you have, you know, there's obviously also tech Twitter because our community is also very <laughs> vocal on Back Twitter. But if, <laughs> yeah. But if you're not on Twitter, you know, how do you hear about it? It's through other people. So to go back to your question on, you know, how do you track that? How do you structure that? I actually have um, like my own method, which I'm, I'm sure like there's like softwares and, and CRMs, but I, I actually have my own way of tracking my network, which is through like as a Excel sheet or our table actually, which is my, my favorite product um, where I organize people through like different tags and, and, you know, different information. And, and mm. that's how, when I, when I want to build a list of people, not that I, like, if I, if I was thinking tomorrow, for example, like, Oh, I want to organize a dinner with series A founders who are doing SaaS. Like I can think of people, but if you look, if you have a list of all the people, you know, in that category, then it's like much easier to have like that inspiration. Right. Especially yeah. when it comes to, you know, having a diverse pool of people, because then the people you think about, you know, uh, from the top of your mind, uh, for, for most people, I would say it's not necessarily the most uh, diverse list, right? So, but if you have that list and then, then you can, you know, play around with it, et cetera. So I had in my air table where I would write notes um, of everybody that I spoke to, what were the next steps, what were they doing? And like, that was like, obviously that doesn't scale, but if you want to know, like today, now that we have, you know, thousands, thousands of members in our community, we have somebody in our team, uh, Trish, who you, you heard speak at on the community builders, who is yeah. amazing. And she's, you know, the best person to speak about this, but we track so many things. Like we track how many days you're active on Slack, how many messages you've sent on, on our community Slack, um, how many times your profile is um, somebody's favorites, uh, your profile on our internal directory. Um, we furiously collect feedback after every event or uh, after mm-hmm. everything. So yeah, so we we track a lot of things. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I think that um, in the early days, then it's, you know, if you're talking to, 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 you know, less than a thousand people, you can probably keep that in a, in a, like a CRM or, or a spreadsheet. If it's more then that's around the time, I would say that you, you want to be collecting, you know, you have significant data to be able to, to make decisions out of that. Cause yeah, in those early days, I think a lot of people go at it. They're like, let me talk to all these people, but actually the mismanagement of the data then causes problems. And it's like, okay, what do you action or like, how do you take action? Right. So then I guess in the early days, how did you prioritize the information that you collected? Um, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, the information that I collected from people was either now's a good time, 
maybe or maybe it's it's in three months or like it's never gonna be a good time but I'll tell my <laughs> friends so it was like very like there weren't that many options in terms of you know what I'm looking for which is you know growing my community so I would say that it was really in, just in terms of you know um when I talk to somebody I always try to add value first I know that's a cliche but I actually you know try to make helpful introductions and if I could I would just do them right away just And I even got like feedback from people who said, I want to join your community because you helped me before you even knew that I was going to, you know, you know, join and, and become a customer. So, so that people yeah. really responded and that, and that it was sincere because I do believe in that we're all playing a long game. And if somebody, you know, doesn't buy your product today or doesn't join your community today, they may in, you know, three, five years, you, 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 you don't know. Right. So um, yeah, to, to, I guess to, to, Like we'll go back to the main point is like if if there was something to do right away, I would do it right away, whether that was an introduction or or sending the relevant information, et cetera. If there wasn't, I would just write a note uh, saying, yeah, let's like let I have to reach out to this person in, in three months or 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 never, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, there weren't that many options, to be honest. Initially, I was going to ask you about how you then decided to join the team, because If you, you are a member of ODF4 first, right? And then mm -hmm. you joined the on-deck team. But what I'm hearing now is that actually it was very strategic. You actually brought in and they knew that they were going to add you to the team. But there is a lot of wisdom, right, in, in hiring from your community in order to help grow mm -hmm. it. Um, and I think, like, on-deck does a really good job of that. So, like, what would you say are some of the benefits of people hiring from within the community? Yeah, absolutely. Um And by the way, like as as head of international, I've hired um, so far two country managers for Israel and Canada, and they're both um, on deck uh, founder fellows. Like they're both fellows okay. from our community, and it doesn't happen. Like I had, I had a I had great candidates, but ultimately, you know, the advantage of of having people who not only understand but they live and breathe your your product is, you know, it, it, this is the same for for any other company, like if you're building a SaaS like Notion, you probably want a power user who's built, you know, who's planned their entire life on, on the product. And in our case, I would say that most people in the team, even if they haven't been part of OnDeck, they've been part of a community at some point and they understand the value of community. But of course, it's so much better if, if it's our own. And and I would say, you know, just that that part of, you know, understanding the, the, the product the, the, and the values. But at the same time, What I really love about hiring from the community is that when they pitch the 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 company, they do it from a personal experience. There's always that that yeah. really personal touch from how much it had it has impacted their own lives and careers. In my case, for example, when I joined on deck the on deck founder fellowship, I was exploring an idea in the female health uh, space, so hormonal hormonal health for for, for, uh -huh. for women. <laughs> And um, I was, you know, I was so surprised in how, you know, everybody in the community and especially with the, with the men in the community, because I thought, you know, when I had a, a call that I had to pitch what I was, you know, exploring and it wasn't somebody who had like an experience in health or anything related, I was like, this person is like not going to understand or, or be able to help, but they would be able to help. They would introduce me to a midwife in the US who's like advising hospitals or 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 um embryologist in um, in Nigeria and like I would get so many helpful introductions from the community that I was like really really surprised and so this is like the way that I 
that I pitched the community, how much the spirit of service and how much, you know, I was surprised by how, how helpful people actually were. And, um, you know, as I've said, I've hired, I've hired um, two people from the community from my own team and yeah. And, and they both have like their own ways of pitching how the, how the community has, has impacted their lives. And, and personally, I'm, I'm still, you know, the fact that I was part of the community means that launching Europe, I was not only very involved with the, you know, first couple of cohorts in Europe, but I even, you know, ended up investing in some of the companies. I became really close friends and I'm still very engaged uh, with, with, with that, with that community. And how, how did you approach hiring out of your community? Was it that these two individuals applied for the role or actually did you approach them in the same way that you were approached? It's, it's both. So when I want to hire for a specific geography, I would literally look at who are the fellows that are based in that geography and is there a potential fit? Um, mm. And I'll reach out. I actually will reach out to, to most people who can be either good candidates or could, could give good referrals because they're close to being a good fit. So I will reach out to them. I will leverage the community um, in when trying to hire for new geographies. And, and then in, in, well, in both cases, it was a bit of both. We had been in touch. One of the, for example, our country manager for Canada was in my, my, the same cohort as me in ODF. Yeah. And we had, we had connected. So we knew each other. And then our uh, country manager for Israel, I actually brought him on board to the, to the community. So we had all, already been wow. in touch as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess really useful in to then in terms of motivation to keep to keep the, the fuel going when, you know, I guess community building gets hard as well. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, it's, it's a different game. Like when they come in, they already know people who've, who've been part of the community. They're already motivated. They feel, they feel more attached to the thing, but I'm, I'm saying this, but you know, I'm hiring for other roles. And like, <laughs> if you're applying to a role in the company, you don't have to, you don't have to yeah. be an on-deck fellow, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> um, it's, it's something that, that we love, but, but not, definitely not, a, not an impediment to working in our team. Yeah, no, yeah, let's, let's add that caveat. And I think the same with any company, right? It's just that it's, I think not enough people leverage the, those within their community already when trying to build it out and like grow it, right? And so definitely great to look within as well as then, of course, looking at exceptional candidates that are coming Absolutely. From outside as well. I would add to that one thing is that sometimes people in your community will step up in ways that you didn't expect or that don't correspond to where you want to take your community. Like somebody will say, you know, how, how about I launch this project for you? Or how about, you know, I help you in this way. And you're like, well, that's a little bit further down the roadmap or, you know, I don't really think we should do that. But I think that anytime there is like energy coming from your community, you should try as much as possible not to not to um, try to put a stop to that or not to, you know, you should try to, to channel it in a way that is, that is helpful to, to, to the community and to the way you want to move forward. Instead of saying like, no, and, and shutting it down, you should, you should never try to like stop that energy, but try to channel it in the, in the, in the best possible way. So how then do you evaluate, you know, using and I guess leveraging that energy in order to, to, yeah, how do you leverage that energy and like evaluate whether to go with that or as we were saying earlier, like getting this feedback where it's like, let's do this or let's do that. And you're like, no, actually, that's not what you mean. How, how do you evaluate what to do next <laughs> in those instances? Yeah, absolutely. And there is a difference between 
um, for example, somebody who says, oh, you should do more of this or more of that. And somebody who, for example, as, as I got in the early days of building Europe, I got so many messages from fellows saying, how can I help you? build mm. Europe and that there's a difference you know between you know people some people demanding something of you and people offering to do something for you so I'm, I'm referring more to the second case but to answer your question so you know how do we decide how do we prioritize that has been something um, I would say for us as a company we've been growing so fast and doing so many different things that I think that it's it's difficult especially from the outside I would say to say like what is their like north star what are what are they what are they gunning for and I would say that we have you know three core uh, customers or three core personas that we serve first one is founders um, not not in, not in any specific order but we have founders we have employees um, and we have investors and so, you know, you may be thinking like, well, why did it launch all these creator programs? But we always view the creator fellowships as a way to increase distribution for, you know, founders or employees or anybody wanting to share the story. So we see that as part of the kind of core, um, core persona, which is, you know, anybody who's involved in, in startups. And um, we are very opportunistic in that sense that um, we look at things from a, um, experimental mindset. So we will try a lot of new things before learning and refining and um, and and just going, you know, doubling down on things. So everything starts as, a, as an experiment. And I will say, you know, in terms of that, like there's um, our, our culture rewards experimental failure. And there is a difference between experimental failure and operational failure. And that's uh, you know something we kind of took from Jeff Bezos at Amazon, who says you know for example, if Amazon uh, we've opened they've opened thousands of uh, fulfillment centers. If they fail to open a new fulfillment center, that's an operational failure because it's something they have mastered already and they should be you know able to execute flawlessly. So that is bad failure. But experimental failure is when you try something new and you learn from it and it didn't work, but you you were you know, you were able to learn so much from that experiment. And, and even the, the fact that you failed, it means that you took a risk and you tried to expand the scope of what you currently do. So we really encourage um, that type of um, experimental failure. And um, yeah, that's why our team, you know, we'll, we'll try new things and we'll, we'll do things like, for example, when we saw that the, the restrictions around COVID were easing, you know, um, um, how to say that, like, oh, things were opening up again. Mm-hmm. So we decided to, we decided to do the Miami drop. So be one of the first communities to go back to in-person events. And now we're doing New York because Miami was a, which is, was a success. And if you ask, you know, where is that going? We're, we're in the process of figuring out, okay, we learned this, this works, and then we'll probably turn it into something else. But that is, that is a, the culture in the company. I love that. I think that distinction is really, really important. Firstly, what you said about people demanding things from you versus people offering to do things for you, right? Because then it's like you're building with the community rather than like building for the community, which actually means if people aren't willing to do it how engaged are they um Mm -hmm. with like the actual growth and then experimental versus like yeah operational it's a big big one yeah Yeah. (laughs) especially as you scale right because actually yeah the way in which the experiment could help with exponential growth versus operation uh, operational failure hindering the continued growth Mm -hmm. it's, it's a huge problem i love that awesome uh, well, you know, speaking of events then, um, 
obviously you've been hosting a lot of online events um and I guess in real life events are a big part of like normal community but then also launching into new markets and stuff so I guess how are you now approaching creating experiences for your community when number one it's so broad um and so large as well yeah that's a great question so we are definitely very excited about the opportunity to to do you know in-person things like and explore things like uh, co-living, co-working, and um, in-person events, retreats. There's so much uh, to do in that, in that, to that extent. And and I think that the 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 way we think about it, it's 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 actually not that different from online experiences. I would say that you know what, what is like the first thing you want to think about, you know, as a as a you know. A, community builder is what is the what is the purpose of the event is it to increase serendipity among members is it to build meaningful connections um, and at a build business level what are your what are your goals so ideally your goals serve the customer but um, you kind of serve the customer while also optimizing for your goals which are for example if it's um, increasing lifetime value um, then for example you would structure the event to drive conversions to to the product that you you know the upsell that you want to you want them to or the behavior that you want them to to purchase um, then if it's customer satisfaction then you would probably listen to your community and and figure out what are the top need needs that are not met today by your product mm-hmm. and you would you know turn your event around that if your goal was to increase referrals and maybe you would you know allow people to bring a plus one and things like that and and then the, the other side of that is you know what are your goals but also how do you want people to behave during the event so um, do you want them to, you know, meet as many, you know, to the serendipity uh, purpose? Like, do you want them to meet as many people as possible? Do you want them to, you know, focus on a, on a smaller group, but really go deep, deep um, and build deep connections with them? And, you know, at the family, for example, one thing that we did was like, we organized so many different formats. We actually had a full-time chef in the team that, you know, because it was, it was, it was cheaper than, than, you know, getting a, getting a, um, a caterer for every event. So, um you know, it also, he was, he was really good, but, um, we, um, so we knew that, uh, you know, French people in some European cultures have a harder time with, um, meeting new people and like going in a room and just like talking and, and talking and doing that network thing, network thing, networking thing. I'm going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Americans are so good at, and you know, I'm Latina. So for me, it's like, I go, I'm going into a room or going to a party alone and like me, not me, not knowing anybody. It's like, I'm in, I'm, a, I'm in my element, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, but uh, in, in this case, we said, okay, so how do we make sure that people come to this dinner where there's 200 people and they don't know anybody, but they want to connect with as many people as possible. So what we did was we, first we repeated it all the time. We said, if we, as a team, as a family team, if we see you talking to somebody you already know, we'll split you up. Like we'll literally come to you and be like, you stop talking, you know each other already. You stop talking to that person and come talk. And we would like spend, we would have team briefings before these events to be like, your goal tonight is to be a connector. So you're going to be making introductions and bringing people together. So that's one thing. The second thing we did was that we had, um, this sounds like so silly, but it actually worked. We had like icebreaker cards that we would distribute during the evening so that people, you know, what was the, what was the last challenge you, you went through as a, as a founder? What, what is the, you know, the best thing that happened to you this week? What are you celebrating this week? You know, what are your goals? What is your vision? So we had all this like founder oriented icebreaker conversation cards that we would distribute. And then the last thing we did 
you know, we did a bunch of other things, but those are the three main ones. Um, we would also send a text message to every attendee before the event saying, tonight your goal is to find among this, you know, big crowd to find these three people. And they had like three names of other people attending. And it was so funny because people were so dedicated to finding these other people that sometimes it would stay until the end of the of the evening and be like, <laughs> I'm still here because I haven't seen, like, have you seen this person? Uh, and it's hilarious because sometimes the, the person hadn't even, hadn't even showed up. Oh. You know? <laughs> Spend but, the whole night. Yeah. So just kind of, um, yeah, just to, to, a way to illustrate of how you can structure and design your events in different ways, depending on what you want to achieve and how you want people to behave. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I guess then afterwards, you also you've already set up what you want to measure in terms of the value that's come out of the the experience that you create. Yeah. And I mean, if the goal as a community builder is to, you know, increase serendipity in that case for us at, at the family, uh, at the time we had founders who found our lead investor at these dinners or, or hired somebody or just found another founder who became a really close friend and ultimately, you know, being a, building a company is a very lonely journey. And so those um, kind of that moral support and, 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 and psychological safety to be able to talk to somebody who's going through the same thing is super important. So yeah, for us at, at OnDeck, I would say that the goals uh, might be different. It might be, you know, Maybe there's a, a co-founder retreat where everybody's looking for a co-founder. Maybe there's a retreat where everybody's working at a, a fintech company and, and the theme is around, you know, increasing collaboration uh, around peers in the same industry. Maybe it's a, it's a COO for uh, companies that are post-series B. So very, you know, growth, late stage companies, um, exec, executives, um, exchanging best practices. That's also a very lonely journey because as a, as a later stage company executive, you know, as a COO or or a product a CPO or or any other um, role, a CTO, there there aren't that many communities that that gather um, such people. So those are the things that we're looking at. Amazing, that's so exciting. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. So, I guess my final couple of questions really is about community platforms um, mm -hmm. and and how they are how you're leveraging them um, and how you'd use them. So the one that I've definitely wanted to bring in having you here is you were once the icon for the Clubhouse app, which is amazing. Um, and you're a Clubhouse <laughs> Power user, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I guess as an early member of that community, do you still think that Clubhouse is a place where founders can, can go and build communities? Or actually, did you have to get in early in order to be able to do that? It's always early. When I started, it was like the earliest possible because it was like, <laughs> we're like uh, maybe more than 100 people in the app. Um, but but it's still very early for, for any platform. And I think that it's not a matter of like, a lot of people say like, oh, it's too late. It's too big now. It's like too late, too hard to break in. But I, I don't think, I don't think that really matters. There's people starting, you know, TikTok accounts every day and like Instagram accounts every day. And like they break through if, if you create something that, you know, people that resonates with people and that, you know, um, and like my personal journey with Clubhouse was that I joined very early on and I wasn't thinking of, you know, creating content or, or rooms or anything. I was just like really literally making friends. So I was spending an like obscene amount of hours <laughs> every day. Yeah. I was, I was, I, 
had just quit the family. So I was, you know, I had a lot of free time. And so I, and it, it was like so serendipitous in the way that one day, you know, I'm, I'm in a room and I, I'm, I see some friends and then uh, Will I Am pops up all of a sudden. And like, we just start having a conversation and like, okay, no way. for sure. And like so many other celebrities and, you know, and then, you know, just started connecting with, with them, but also with people who were in the music industry or, or you know, just doing art or film or, you know, music, whatever. So a lot of, a lot of new friends from interesting backgrounds and different, in different walks of life. And, and that was, that was for me, that was the most addictive thing. So I started by that and being, you know, a community builder and uh, a very intense person that I am, (laughs) I built um, with a friend, one of the first kind of events uh, on Clubhouse. It was a regular thing. That was we we called we called it Casa Club, which was the first kind of Latino club on 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 Clubhouse, and we created the the French club Maison Club uh, with with other friends, and then we both uh, wrote the first onboarding guide for Clubhouse before the app had even like any onboarding process. I My see. friend and we we kept like welcoming new people and saying like oh this is how it works and this is how you do and this is the culture this is how we do things we just found ourselves repeating the same thing over and over so we just said like let's do a notion deck and let's write it down and that document has been read like i get i used to get messages every day from people thanking us for that document but you know has been read by you know probably millions of people at this point and uh, then, you know, Clubhouse recognized all that contribution to the community by making me the app icon. And now I would say that I've seen people because, you know, I hear about the stories. I've, I've seen other people kind of build communities and break through and, and they have not been, you know, early users like I, like I was. Um, I can think of, for example, Sarah Essa, who's part of the ODF community. She built um, the sustainability club. And I don't even know how many users um, she has, uh, how many members she has in her club. Last time I checked, I think it was 50,000 people. Yeah. Um, and she started that from scratch, I think, in, in January. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not too late for sure. Awesome. Well, no, I think we've covered a lot of ground here and it's been amazing to hear how you approach building community um, for on deck, but also how you did it for the family as well, because those are two, I guess, very different audiences, but um, turning those audiences into communities, you still managed to do it uh, in different ways. So you're a power community builder. We'd love to see it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, um, it's a uh, very flattering to to hear that from you. Oh, no, no worries, no worries. Okay, so I've got one final question for you uh, before I then just uh, ask you to share how people can find you after mm-hmm. this, and that is simply if you were starting a community today from scratch, like where would it live? That's a great question, and I get it a lot, uh, or people ask that uh, often. I think. Like my honest answer, it's like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but I'm going to like play the game and, and answer it anyway. But I just, I just think that people get so hung up on the tools and they decide that even before they decide like what kind of community they want to build, what, a, what, a, like I'm, I'm a much more of a feeling person. And so if, you know, pick a platform that number one matches the type of behavior you want to, you want to see, for example, if it's like in-person events, you can create a WhatsApp group um, or, or email thread. Uh, you know, just use the, the the platform that best 
fits your communication style as a leader. So if you're better in writing, then, you know, by all means, like start a newsletter, make it interactive or start an email thread where everybody's, you know, just you give prompts to people to introduce themselves and like share very personal things, for example. Um, if it's mm. video, YouTube or, or TikTok or whatever, or, you know, any other platform. And then if it's voice for me, it was clubhouse was a breakthrough because I had never really been super active on Twitter. I had never, you know, had a newsletter I've, I've written a couple articles but it's I mean it just like I'm I think I'm very that's another topic let's do another podcast right but <laughs> <laughs> the main idea is that I really found that voice and clubhouse were like the best platforms for me at the yeah. time and, and they still are so find that and uh, and then pick the one that that best suits your personality awesome that is great advice because people, I think sometimes it's like analysis paralysis. Like, do I use this? Do I use that? Do I use yes. this? Do I use that? Actually, yeah, do it for the people. And uh, it shouldn't steer you too wrong. Awesome. So given that you're not a big Twitter person, you don't really want to, you know, you've written a few blogs, but actually not that many. Clubhouse <laughs> is one place. Is there anywhere else that people can can find you and reach out? Absolutely. So I am on Twitter now because of Clubhouse. I became super active <laughs> on Twitter because I, I made friends on the app. And, and funny story, like Clubhouse didn't have a DM feature. So yeah. we couldn't message each other and we used, um, it does, still doesn't. And we used Twitter um, as a back channel. So I became super active on Twitter through that. Mm. So you can find me there. Uh, it's Erica Batista, just like my name. The same handle on Instagram. On Clubhouse, I'm at Erica, hashtag OG. And, the original. Uh, Yes. And my email for anybody who wants to reach out and is Erica at beyondag.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, same here. And I, you know, I think that a lot of us that are, you know, community professionals, we've been doing community before we even knew what it was called, right? It's just part of how we relate to people, how we want to, you know, f when, when I'm, I'm in a room, I just want everybody to feel good and comfortable and at ease and so like I think that's that's a mindset that that we all have and share and so we should always you know trust our gut uh when it comes to to this um this community building uh, profession that I, I can't even believe that it's called a profession because it doesn't feel like work to me <laughs> <laughs> as it shouldn't as it shouldn't yeah honestly. yeah awesome well thank you so much thank you for having me thank you.